Hello, and welcome to Independent Pharmacy Alliance Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance, IPA. IPA is a trade association buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. In this episode of the IPA podcast, we'll be getting an update from the National Community Pharmacists Association, NCPA Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Ann Cassidy, and the Senior Vice President of Policy and Pharmacy Affairs, Rana Hauser. We have the two superstars from NCPA, so you're going to get the inside look on what's happening with independent community pharmacy in Washington, D.C., and the two people who are intrinsically involved in supporting independent community pharmacy in D.C. and what's happening with PBM reform. Before we get started, can you speak a bit about your professional backgrounds and how you became advocates for independent community pharmacy and PBM reform? And can you let me know how you got started working with NCPA? Yeah, so I got my professional start just in general on Capitol Hill. I worked for two different members of the House of Representatives, one from North Carolina and one from Alabama. We were working very closely with NCPA during the Medicare Modernization Act. I'm aging myself, but that was with the creation of the Part D program. And the member of Congress I was working for, Walter Jones, was very concerned about the impact that it would have on pharmacies, especially community pharmacies. So we worked very closely with NCPA, and after that work, they actually approached me to see if I'd be interested in coming to work for the National Community Pharmacist Association. So that was back in 2006, and this is actually my second go around. It shows you how much I love NCPA. I was at NCPA from 2006 to 2007. I moved back to Louisiana to go work for the then governor of Louisiana as his health policy advisor. And then I came back to NCPA in 2018. I miss pharmacies. And you were just recently promoted to senior vice president of government affairs. Is that correct? Yes, I was. So that was in November. So it's great to be able to have my fingers in all policy, government affairs, and also our political action committee, our PAC, grassroots, um, and our legislative defense fund. So, Rana, how did you get your start with independent community pharmacy? Sure. Well, I've been at NCPA advocating for independent pharmacists since 2009. But before that time, Anne, I know, mentioned she was fresh out of college working on the Hill in D.C. And I was fresh out of pharmacy school and had a a wonderful opportunity to come to Washington, D.C. and advocate for community pharmacies working for the National Association of Chain Drug Stores. So I was able to get my feet wet into pharmacy policy and work on implementation of the Medicare Part D program, which was very eye-opening. And then a few years spent at NCPA, I was asked to um, come over and help NCPA. So it's been a great career and a wonderful transition over to advocating exclusively for independent pharmacies. And I want to talk to you. There's so many exciting things happening on PBM reform in Washington, D.C. Thanks to the work you're doing and NCPA is doing. There are two big PBM reform bills that are moving through Congress now, S113, Prescription Pricing for People Act, and S127, 
the PBM Transparency Act. Could you tell us about these bills and are they coming up for committee hearings anytime soon? Yeah, so S113, what you just mentioned, that's the Senator Grassley and Senator Cantwell bill. And it's the FTC study bill. That bill's been reintroduced several times. And as we know, there is a FTC 6B study going on as we speak. And so what this bill would do is put some timelines in because there's lots of concerns that this FTC study could go on and on. And so this bill says the FTC has within a year of enactment of this bill, to complete an FTC study of PBMs. That bill actually was voted out of committee a couple weeks ago. And so the next step would be the Senate House floor. And then S-127, which is also by Senators Cantwell and Grassley. You see a theme there in the Senate, very supportive of our issues. That bill is more focused on PBM transparency for employers and patients, which I think is a really smart move because for so long, it's been such a focus of pharmacies. And this is a way to educate other groups on the impact of PBMs that they're having on employers, patients, physicians, hospitals. And so what this bill would do, it would prohibit spread pricing, clawbacks in the commercial market, but it would also expand FTC's authority for enforcement and also give state attorney generals the ability to enforce laws or go after PBMs should they be in violation of the provisions in this bill. And actually, there was a hearing on this bill about a week or two ago. It was a great hearing if you were pro-PBM regulation or pro-PBM oversight. There was all on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, We're both very critical of PBM activities, practices, and their impact on pharma. And really, of all the groups that brought up, it was independent pharmacies that they talked about the most. And Senator Tester of Montana, to me, had the best line of the whole hearing. He said, why the hell do we need PBMs? And we said, we concur. Um, We expect, and I don't know what date this podcast is going to be put out there, but We're hearing possibly there could be a a vote or a markup, if you will, on the bill the week of March 20th. So what does a markup mean when they do a markup? Yeah. So for normal people, that's a vote. I should have said it that way. So when they mark up a bill, there's a they had a hearing on this two weeks ago. And when a bill is being marked up, it's just a fancy way of saying when the committee is going to vote in favor uh, or not in favor of the bill. So if you were to rank from a scale of one to 10, one being the highest and 10 being the lowest, how much do the PBMs hate these bills? Um, five billion jillion. Five billion jillion. <laughs> and I say that because the PBMs have always spent a lot of money trying to kill bills. You know, they file lawsuits, but they, in fact, put out a press release about a week or two ago and said, that they are rolling out a seven-figure campaign in the Beltway to educate on the misinformed about what PBMs do. So that means there's going to be you know, millions and millions of dollars spent on PBM propaganda in the Beltway. We're already seeing it. There's all these op-eds that have been written talking about how independent pharmacies are in cahoots with everyone else, and we're the reason for increased drug costs. And so they're pulling out all the stops. And when I am on Capitol Hill and also with my colleagues, um, Adam Harbison and Katie Krell, who are both lobbyists for NCPA, 
we're seeing more and more and more insurance and PBM lobbyists. I mean, they are swarming the halls. I think that's the best way to describe it, swarming the halls. And I know we're going to talk about our flying in a little bit, and I'm going to bring that up because it'll be more important than ever for folks to be the ones educating their members of Congress on what's going on out there. Don't let the PBMs be the educators. And over the last few years, you mentioned the fly-in, and that's uh, NCPA's national meeting, congressional meeting. And I've attended over the last eight years or so, and I've definitely seen an education amongst the politicians on Capitol Hill in terms of what a PBM is, what they do, how they affect drug pricing, and what they're doing to independent community pharmacies. I've seen some of these hearings that you were mentioning, and it looks like both parties, they're just not buying their arguments anymore. Do you feel that's true? Do you feel the message is really getting out there where the legislators are not buying it anymore from PBMs? Absolutely. I mean, the message is resonating, I think, with Republicans and Democrats. And what I think has really helped push this forward is the fact, because it's for, what, the last 20 years, pharmacies have been screaming from the rooftops about the issues with PBMs. We were the lone voice, if you will. And now you have the rheumatologists, the oncologists, you have employer groups, you have patient groups. Everyone is starting to see the impact that PBMs are having on them. And so I think that also has made a big impact on legislators that it's not, okay, well, maybe it's a bigger problem than we thought it was because we know the pharmacists have been talking about this for 20 years, but it is impacting folks across the board from the purchase of drugs to the dispensing of drugs to formularies to what providers are in the network. And I think we're reaping the benefits of that right now. And we, you just talked about those two bills, but there's so much more going on. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee, Chairman Comer, he's from Kentucky of that committee, announced about a month ago that they would be holding a oversight investigation of PBMs and their impact on federal programs and patients and pharmacies. Letters requesting documents went out to Optum, ESI, Express Scripts, but more than that, went out to the Defense Health Agency that's under DOD, has TRICARE, went out to CMS, and it also went out to OPM, which has oversight over the Federal Employees Health Benefit Plan. So what all that means, all these groups, we believe, will be brought in under oath in front of the House Oversight Committee. And that is, I don't remember in all my years in Washington, D.C., a bigger hearing on PBMs than what could potentially happen with the House Oversight Committee. So that's very exciting. I mean, that in some ways is as exciting as the FTC doing their study. But we just have to keep their feet to the fire, meaning the members of Congress and pharmacists to just keep calling their members of Congress. And again, I just I can't say this enough. Pharmacists want to be the resource for that member of Congress. You don't want the insurance companies or PCMA, the PBMs, PCMA is the trade association that represents the PBMs, to be the resource for that member of Congress. And on top of that, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, the commissioner there, Lena Khan, she's making some amazing moves in terms of finally bringing the three large PBMs, talking about CVS, Optum, and Express Scripts. Finally, they're actually having a conversation about how these three companies influence drug pricing, how they're increasing drug prices, 
and what they're doing to independent community pharmacies in this country. Let me ask you, I mean, we have all these huge things going on. We have these bills moving through Congress. I'm a pharmacy owner sitting, listening to this podcast. I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I want to see this stuff pass. But what can I do? What do? How can I get involved? What would you recommend they do? A couple things. Your voice, talking to your members of Congress, talking to your members of Congress staff, it really does matter. I'm a former staffer, congressional staffer, and I think people wonder about that. I think it really does matter. And again, I keep saying the same thing over, you be the resource. When I was a staffer on Capitol Hill, when a pharmacy bill would come up, there was a couple people who I knew I would pick up the phone to call or any sort of bill that dealt with the pharmacy benefit, not specifically just as providers. And I would call pharmacies in the district. And the reason I knew those pharmacies in the district is they had called me and communicated with me and introduced themselves to me. And I mean, it was sort of the same in any industry. I would have those folks who I could count on to sort of give me the real scoop, if you will. So reach out to your members of Congress, let them know who you are. You can meet with their district staff. You don't have to come to Washington, D.C., Every House member, every Senate member has either a state or a district office. Set up a meeting to go in or a phone call to talk to their district director. Invite them in. And I think actually this has one of the biggest impacts is a pharmacy visit. And NCPA can help with that. Invite your member of Congress into your pharmacy. We talk about many things theoretically, right, with these members and with their staff. Sort of get them behind the counter, show them your books. We talk about DRs, we talk about clawbacks. So I've had members of Congress when I followed up at their offices after a pharmacy visit, they were like, You aren't kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, when they look these clawbacks. So I think that's very important. Coming to the fly in is very important. And frankly, donating to NCPA's PAC, our political action committee, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but Everybody is giving a lot to all these members of Congress, all these political candidates, and that's including PCMA, AHIP, all the insurers. And we need to continue to have a seat at the table. Many of you have been very generous. I would just encourage if you haven't given to the PAC, there's no certain amount you need to give. But And that information is on our website that you can go on for our PAC and LDF to just to help us keep a seat at the table, to be able to go to these events, have these conversations with members of Congress outside of sort of those regular meetings we have. So those would be some things that I would say that are important, but also little things like, and I know it's probably a pain sometimes, but it makes a difference. When we send out grassroots alerts, we try to make it as easy as possible where it says, please contact your member and ask them to co-sponsor or support this bill. Just take two minutes to click that link. Most of that is automatically populated and will go straight to your members of Congress. Again, as a former staffer for a member, when maybe one letter is not going to make a big deal, but in a House office, 15 and 20 absolutely will make a big deal. 50, 100 in a Senate office will make a big deal. So literally take that two minutes, click on, because it makes a difference if members of Congress get those communications from you. I want to encourage all our listeners to go to ncpa.org. All the resources that you need are on that website to get involved, to assist NCPA, to donate to NCPA's PAC, because let's just face it, making these changes is not 
cheap. And PBMs and these large Fortune 500 companies, they have a lot of money to spend. So I encourage everyone listening to go to ncpa.org, get involved. There are tools there to contact your congressional representatives, tools on how you can donate to NCPA. So if you want to help, don't wait. It's just a click away. Go to ncpa.org. And I want to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about DER fees, direct and indirect remuneration fee. I, I think I said that the right way. <laughs> and and I love the name that NCPA gave to a program to help pharmacy owners get ready for a new rule that's taking effect January 1st, 2024, to get ready for the new DER fee rule. And Rana's going to tell us all about it, but I love the name. Dur hangover. I know for myself, when I'm thinking about dur fees, I don't need any drinks to get a hangover after I'm done thinking about dur fees. I'm sure a lot of pharmacy owners feel the same way. That's why I love that name. Rana, you've been working really hard on this. I think the work that NCPA has done to actually make dur fees more transparent at the point of sale is incredible. There's more work that needs to be done, but we need to let the pharmacy owners know what's good about it, what do they need to watch out for, and what can we look forward to in the future? So Rana, if you could uh, take it away and let us know what's going on. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. No, you're absolutely right. DIR fees or DIR fees are a top priority to reform at NCPA and have been for uh, many years now. So we are excited that CMS finally did something working in concert with Congress to address DIR fees. And come January 1, 2024, there will be a brand new major rule in effect that will require PBMs to pass through all of these fees to the point of sale. Ultimate goal per CMS is to lower patients' out-of-pocket drug spend, which we know will happen. We also know what will happen is that pharmacies will have more transparency into their net reimbursement well in advance and well before they sign a contract. So we know that 2024 contracts should be hitting your stores any day now. And we need all NCPA members to stay vigilant as they're reviewing these contracts themselves and or working with a PSAO to contract on your behalf. Please stay vigilant and understand the terms of these new Part D contracts. CMS has made some major changes and that plans are going to have to adjust when they submit their bids this year. So these next few weeks from mid-March, which we're sitting at today until the beginning of June when bids are due is really gonna be crunch time to see if these Part D plans can meet network access standards when it comes to their pharmacy networks. But a lot of more work yet to be done, Anthony, just because the fees have to be passed through and more transparent doesn't mean they still won't exist. So that's why I mentioned Pharmacies need to be vigilant and really have a better understanding of their net payment terms. So does this mean as a pharmacy owner, all of my DER fees that I've been charged retroactively, do they all have to now be at the point of sale? So I'm not going to be hit with them weeks, months later. Is that the main point of the rule? So they should be known at the point of sale. The term that CMS has used is lowest possible reimbursement. So pharmacies should know what that amount is. Now, whether that's just captured upfront, done, call it a day, or whether there's adjustments post point of sale is going to be left up to contract negotiations. 
And again, that's why it's so important for pharmacies to remain vigilant these upcoming weeks. And Rana, maybe if you can give us an idea, how long did it take to get this rule change to happen? I know NCPA put in a lot of work to try to get more transparency in terms of what the pharmacy's true reimbursement rate is. And that's why this rule is so important, because the pharmacy owners and pharmacists will get a better understanding of the actual reimbursement, because it'll be happening at the point of sale. What was the work that was done to get this accomplished? So this took many years, Anthony. It took a lot of education to explain to lawmakers and CMS what was happening to small business pharmacies and their patients. That is, patients were paying higher at the counter and pharmacies were really being hosed on the back end with these unknown fees and couldn't run a business efficiently from an accounting perspective, having to pay these fees months after prescriptions left the pharmacy. So it was a lot of education over time. And then it was a lot of work to come up with a fix or a solution. And I will say that Congress did help us. They didn't ultimately pass a law. They pointed their finger at CMS and made CMS fix this themselves. One of those reasons is to fix this problem costs a lot of money. And patients will now have lower out-of-pocket costs. CMS has said even though patient premiums may increase a little bit, they'll still be offset by the cost at the pharmacy counter. But that being said, because of the dynamics of the Part D program, and how the risk corridors and reinsurance, et cetera, work to fix this DIR fee problem and to account for everything up front is going to cost the government. So as we all know, Medicare Part D is a fluid program. There's always changes occurring. And uh, I think what we'll see is even after the DIR rule came out, everyone knows that later last year, the Inflation Reduction Act passed, and that's going to cause a lot of changes to Part D redesign as well. So be on the lookout. The DIR fee change is just one thing. There'll be a lot of changes coming to Part D in the upcoming years. What's incredible about the rule is, and this is for the non-pharmacy listeners out there, non-pharmacists, is that it's not just going to provide clarity for a pharmacist in terms of what their payment is. It's also going to reduce your out-of-pocket spending on drugs at the pharmacy counter. I think that's a really important point, is that the work that the National Community Pharmacy Association has done is not only going to benefit community pharmacies, but it's going to benefit patients. Rana, could you explain a little bit more about how patients will benefit from the rule? Sure. So once all these fees are passed through at the point of sale, that will ultimately lower the negotiated price or the amount that the patient's copay is based on. So instead of the patients having inflated cost at the pharmacy counter, that were then clawed back to the pharmacy months later, that net negotiated price has to be known and transparent up front and reported to CMS. So that means that whatever that number is, is the number that patients' coinsurance or out-of-pocket is going to be based on, and it will by nature be lower. So it is a win for patients, but we want to make it a win for pharmacies too. And like you alluded to, the fees won't necessarily go away, and the fees could still be captured post-point of sale but they'll at least be known and transparent. So more work to be done. We have a lot of educational resources coming your way. We've dedicated a space on our website to the DIR hangover. So ncpa.org backslash DIR hyphen hangover. We'll be adding podcasts, webinars, tip sheets, et cetera, to that website as we create them. So stay tuned. And a lot of different pharmacy meetings and shows coming up this summer, NCPA's annual convention in October, et cetera. We'll have educational programming on this issue at each of those venues. 
Rana, could you tell me a little bit more about the Dur Hangover? How does it work? What does a pharmacy owner have to do if they want to get involved, if they want to learn more about how they can get ready for the new Dur fee rule? So we are very concerned that come January 1, when this new rule goes into effect, that upfront payments to pharmacies will decrease. And at the same time, pharmacies will be paying DIR fees that have accrued this year in 2023. So we almost see this double DIR hit come January 1. And that's what we're dubbing the DIR hangover is a period of extreme potential cash flow concern. So we're doing all we can to educate members up front about what that cash flow crunch could look like. We're offering tip sheets on what they can do now, whether that's just have a better understanding of their current DIR fees or potentially work with banks and look at things like lines of credit to keep their business afloat in January. So each pharmacy owner is going to have a bit of a different experience based on, again, the party plans they contract with, the current contracts that they're working under that will tell them how much NDR fees they're going to have taken out this year. So a lot of different factors at play here. It's not a one size fits all. It could be a different experience for each pharmacy, but there's a lot of things to consider. And those are, again, tip sheets, podcasts, et cetera, that we've posted to our website. And right now we're in the month of March. So pharmacists, pharmacy owners listening to this, you have a lot of time that you can take advantage of in trying to learn how to get ready for the DER fee rule. So I guess the message is don't procrastinate. Start now, because if you wait too long, it might be harder. Exactly, exactly. And our most recent issue of America's Pharmacist, I think it spells it out pretty nicely. Our cover story is about the DR hangover. I think we have some uh, dissolving tablets uh, (laughs) on our front page of our America's Pharmacist issue. So pay attention to all the resources we're putting out. I think there's a lot to come yet, but contract time is about to hit and uh, those bids have to be due in June. And uh, remember, PBMs have to have an adequate pharmacy network. There are access standards that have to be followed in Part D. So if they can't get enough pharmacies to accept the terms of the contracts, they can't submit their bids. So you do have some leverage. You do have more knowledge on your side this time around with contracting. So use it to your advantage. That is interesting. I haven't heard of that yet. So under the rule, they have to accept a certain amount of pharmacies? Yeah. So to build a standard network in Part D, they have to follow the access standards, which are based on mileage, whether you're in an urban, suburban, or rural area. So those access standards have been in place since the beginning of the program. And if plans don't have enough pharmacies to meet those access standards, it's not considered a standard network and they couldn't submit their bid. So, you know, if these terms are so egregious that pharmacies can't accept them, then again, the plan would be up a creek if they couldn't meet their network access standards. So it's just something to consider and think through as we move through the next few weeks. That is really interesting. In this particular instance, pharmacists and pharmacy owners do have some leverage that if they don't go in on these plans, that it could cause an issue. So that is really interesting. Rana, if somebody wants to get involved with the DER hangover, if they want to participate, can they go to NCPA's website? Is there a link that they could use? Yeah, please do. I will repeat it. It's ncpa.org backslash D-I-R hyphen hangover. Please visit that website for resources. I love the name DER hangover. Who came up with that name? I don't know that I can give one exact person credit for it, but We were coming up with education for our last annual meeting in Kansas City, and we did have some sessions focused on this topic. So I think it was a group effort, people working together to come up with the best terminology for what we may feel come January 1, 2024. 
So in all seriousness, you know, this is a situation that CMS is aware of, this double DIR potential when you have a lower upfront payment and you're paying 2023 DIR fees. It's a situation that CMS is aware of and we'll be watching closely. So it's it's up on us to let the agency know how this is playing out. And again, it's up to each individual business owner to look at your book of business and understand how this could impact you. Before we finish today, I just wanted to ask, do you have anything that you want to let the pharmacy owners know that we haven't spoken about, something you want them to be aware of? Everyone, please, please, please register for the fly-in. It's April 26th and 27th. There's information on NCPA's website. It's under events. The reason I think this is probably more important than any fly-in that we've ever had, number one, it's been three years since people have got to see their members of Congress in person. There are 80 new members of Congress. So 80 new members who we have to pretend know nothing about our issue and would be open to education. And we wanted education from the right folks. And number three, I've never, ever seen momentum like this at the federal level on PBM oversight, PBM regulation, going after the middlemen. We have an extraordinary amount of support up here. And as you should, as we all should, we're all complaining about PBM activities. Now let's sort of put our money where our mouth is and let's go see our members of Congress and tell them face-to-face the problems that are going on. And that's really important. I encourage every listener, if you're a pharmacist, pharmacy owner, attend the NCPA fly-in. Flying in is not a requirement. I'm taking the train. So you could take a train, car, uh, or you could fly in. But I've been attending over the last eight or so years. I can't emphasize enough how important it is that the pharmacists and pharmacy owners go to D.C., make your voice heard. Rana, any final thoughts that you'd like to uh, tell the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we can't do our work without your support. So if you're not currently an NCPA member, please sign up for membership. On our website, there's a membership tab right at the top. Join today. We really need your help and support to do all the work we're doing on your behalf in Washington, D.C. So thank you. And thank you, Anthony, for this opportunity. And Rana, thank you for joining me today. I think we learned a lot. I think NCPA and both of you are doing incredible work. I think that the pharmacists and pharmacy owners should really try to get involved with NCPA by going to ncpa.org. Give some of your time. If you can donate, donate to NCPA's political pack, but it's extremely important. And again, if you want to get involved, if you want to know how you can help, if you want to know more about the DER hangover and how to get ready for the new DER fee rule, go to ncpa.org. And Rana, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you thank for you. having us. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the president and CEO, John Giampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone. Music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.